Nick Nuthouse gave us a $20 super chat right at the start. What? Thanks for getting special guests. Hmm? Hmm? Oh, yeah? Do you have one? We'll be right back with Kurt Winger. Hey, everybody. I'm Alex Sturgeon, your uh, Hobbyplex manager and host of the show. And with me, as always, Will Brinton. We're not going to waste any time today because we have a special guest. We got Kurt Wenger. Am I getting your last name right? Yeah, Winger. Winger. I knew that. Gosh darn it. Yeah, screwed it you up said already. It good. Okay. All right. Good. All right. Will has been just kicking butt getting the guests in line. Yeah. Kurt was hard to get. Uh, he had to squeeze us into his busy schedule here and um, <laughs> made it work. So, yeah, we did have to bump it back a few weeks for racing. Yeah. Yep. That's cool. The carpet race, you went to the carpet race in Vegas, right? Yeah. Yeah. I flew out. Uh, I'm based in Texas now. I flew out from Austin to Las Vegas, and Spencer was there, and Brent, and uh, Cole Tollard, Rob Gillespie. Um, Brent signs and uh, Blake Champlin is local there. So yeah. we had um, a pretty good crew. And then uh, the new thing this year is we got the one up team associated team with Joe pillars and, and all of his one up guys, a bunch of Pacific Northwest guys were there. So there's a lot of team associated. Yeah. Looked, on the carpet. It looked like there was a very strong associated presence for show. That track was a little bit different this year too. I, I, I know to me it was, it looked more, I don't know, open like the first year they had that thing. There was, it was, it felt tighter and there was way more jumps in this one. The sun was pretty flowing. It felt like about the right size for the track. I think, I mean, the fast four wheel drive guys were doing low 15s and then high 15s and two wheel drive. I was in the high 16 and low 17s. I actually made my car faster and went slower. Mm. Classic maneuver there yeah <laughs> but um yeah it was it was pretty good size i've never been there before so i don't have a lot of frame of reference i have run on carpet before and so that was my first time running on the black carpet which was really interesting it was a lot cleaner and a less messy like the other stuff i've run on is like the gray the old gray ozite which has a lot higher fuzz factor yes than this and uh I thought it was really grippy and good and I was pumped on it. The tire tire life was good. Like the J concept spec tires. I know the pro guys were only running them two or three times. I mean, you could run them five, six, seven, eight times and yeah. they're still pretty good. That was one of the things that we noticed a lot. Uh, we, we got black carpet almost two years ago now. And before that we were running carpet off road on the gray with slicks. We didn't allow any pins. And then when we yeah. went to the black carpet, the slicks didn't work as well. And, uh, we, we tr you know, we kind of transitioned over to the regular carpet pin tires at that point. And, uh, Will and I, the first year that we ran on black, I mean, Will's a, was a master of tire management. He just dominated everybody. I'd always burn mine too early, <laughs> use them up and then be slower. Yeah. The, the trick was, is the, like to run, you're like have a set of tires for you. Know, I always started the main with a set of tires that had about three minutes of running on it. And then that's the set that I would run for the first two qualifiers the next week. And then the, uh, for the main, 
in between in the break, I'd break in a new set of tires. I'd run those for the main and I'd just cycle them that way. And it was like perfect amount of tire wear. Cause then you could get a couple of practice runs and then run your two heats. And then you had a fresh set for the main. Yeah. And then, uh, the stock guys can definitely get their tires, uh, on our track. Cause our tracks like maybe half the size, I guess, total of the Vegas track. And so, um, it's not as fast. You're not, you know, um, even though the lap times you were saying that the pros were what were the pros were doing. I mean, usually our lap times are in the thirteens and fourteens. Yeah. When you're going that fast, the, the track getting bigger doesn't add that much to the lap time. Yeah. It's crazy. I, I ran at that track at, uh, in Minnesota, Thunder Road. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. That was a, that was a huge, that was the biggest carpet track I'd ever driven on. It's like, you almost had time to adjust your hat going down the straightaway, but it was just like, like your car was like a missile. Like that was the fastest I think I've ever driven a two wheel or a four wheel <laughs> down that back straightaway. Yeah. Sometimes the extra speed on the straightaway gets you in trouble in the infield. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. Definitely. That was the big, most challenging thing I thought about carpet was I had to slow down so much for the jumps. I was like, I don't want my car too fast because I'm just going to screw up and over jump everything. And I, I gain way more on the lap times doing the jumps good than going faster on the straightaway. Yeah. Yeah. Downsiding all the jumps is so critical for carpet. Especially on our track because it's so tight. Yeah. Yeah. You can't over jump at all. Yeah. That Vegas one, you come down the back straightaway, loop around, and then you have the jump in front of the driver's stand. And I would literally have to like coast and then like barely touch the trigger for the jump. Otherwise, I was overshooting it by four feet. Mm-hmm. It was like a nightmare. Yeah. A little bit. I was like, I cannot go any slower. <laughs> like I'm not even, I'm almost coasting over it. So I, I want to introduce you. So I, I think I know enough about you. You, at one point you, you worked full time at associated. Am I right? Yes, for sure. I worked there for about 10 or 11, 10 years, roughly. And a lot of people know Associated originally, the RC-10, the RC was for Roger Curtis, who was the original founder um, of the company. And he was an engineer with Douglas Aircraft and did military stuff. And so he was the original designer. And then he and Gene, Gene Husting partnered up and they did the RC-10 and got everything going. And Roger, the person after that to do the design was when he brought Cliff on to do research and development. And so that lasted all the way through the 90s with the B2 and the B3 and the TC3. And then um, the other person in the industry still around, you guys would know, is Torrance de Guzman started out. And he was the first person to work with Cliff, and they worked on the Nitro TC3. Uh, I remember being at, at M&M Hobbies right before the TC3 was uh, was released to the public, and he had one there to show people at the 99 Mod Nats. And I was, I was in awe of that car. That thing blew up. Yeah. And it kind of, yeah, the touring car, the whole thing of the rise and fall touring car was really interesting, but Mm -hmm. they, that right product at the right time, it was a home run. And, um, so then when we were starting the new, uh, electric off-road project is when I started in 2002. And so that was the first thing. And Torrance and I were the designers and Cliff was moving into a different role, kind of managing everything. And 
I think that was one of the last projects that he actually designed something on and actually like drew it and did the nuts and bolts. Um, but then we kind of took over. So I've been started out doing, I started doing uh two wheel drive development and went from there to, um, learning about everything, but I, I was kind of have my beginnings in, in electric. So I had studied engineering and, uh, went to Texas A&M and I raced a little bit in between, um, when I was going to school a few times a year, I'd race the regionals and race a few times in Houston. But yeah, I, I started out doing electric off-road development and testing there. And we, I kind of started building my base of knowledge and stuff. So I worked from there on all the electric projects. And then we worked on, at the time there wasn't, there was the GT and then I worked on the GT2 project. And then um, later the SC10 project when we launched that and all the other versions. And sorry. That's okay. I have already instructed that um, she cannot, <laughs> uh, my daughter's here and she cannot talk to me or make noise unless there's blood or fire or a spider that has to be this big. Right. So it has to be a really big spider. <laughs> or scorpions. Do you guys have scorpions time. down there in Austin? No. Well, that's good. No. I'm a, I, yeah, I've been in a small town outside of Austin. But anyways, yeah, we're, I worked on all those kind of little car projects. And then I started learning about 8 scale when we did the RC8 and doing all that testing, which was kind of a crash course. And um, throughout all that, I, I really liked, I raced touring car and I did, I did pretty well at that. I made the Reedy race open class a main and I raced with Brent and we did some on-road development and Barry, Barry Baker worked there at the time. So that was called kind of all in the late, late two thousands. And, um, and then I worked there all the way up through like the 2011 worlds. And, and then in 2012, beginning of 2012, I left and, um, launched, uh, with Avid, we launched their whole product and accessory line, um, because Avid was just a bearing company. They were based out of Texas, old friend of mine. So we launched that. And I did that with uh, David from Avid for a few years, and then we broke up and um, launched my own brand. So I kind of been doing the shell accessories since 2014, and then this past year I talked with Cliff and Sean Ireland, and uh, Associated was going through some changes and needed somebody else um, specialist to work on the 10 scale electric. So I kind of joined the team part time. And we started doing the B74.1 design and development. And since then, I've been working with the new engineer and associated. His name is Billy Hayden. He's from the, uh, the Northeast Pennsylvania kind of areas. And, um, so he's been great. And we've been doing the T6.2, SC6.2, all the four wheel drive stuff. And then the new two wheel drives working on those projects. So sweet. That's the uh, full recap. Um, that's pretty cool. That so you kind of got into so Will has this really awesome list of questions and uh, I'm um, on it. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. kind of trying to work through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I that, that's kind of that's that, that's why I send you a list of stuff so you can kind of you know 
you aren't like blindsided by something, you know? So, so you were, you based from what I heard, you actually weren't really in RC cars until college. No, I was. Okay. I'm a long timer. Okay. Um, All right. My first car was kind of in the 1980s, like RC 10 craze. So I had the gold tub RC 10. I saved up my money mowing lawns. I saved up about 250 bucks, I think. And I got, I didn't have enough money for the kit with ball bearings and Mm -hmm. electronic speed control. So I got um, the Bushing RC10 kit. I still remember it was number 6010 was the (laughs) kit part number. That's how they, they distinguished them. I got an Airtronics XL2P radio. Yep. Came with two servos. And I got a Protec charger with a 15 minute (laughs) dial. Um, which Protech, not related to the A main Protech, yeah. it was like Pro T E C H. Yep. They're gone now, but Protech charger. To me, I know what plugs. you meant. I've been around long enough. I know exactly what charger you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had that one. You said you had to cycle it through two times. You yep. know, that was back when like SCEs and SCRs were just coming out. Before that, it was just like regular batteries. And they were like, 1200 SCEs were, were those the ones where you could only use them like once a day those are the yellow ones yeah they were long higher capacity and they were lower usage so yeah, yeah. Huh. it was totally like oh yeah you got you got to buy four of these because if you would need to run four times you need four batteries because yeah. you could only use them once I, I've never light bulbs and discharge them to nothing yeah. or they'll have huh. a memory yep yeah when I started everything was nickel hydride still yeah. and brush motors yeah, so I never had to do any of that, but I do have a brand new, never driven RC10. The uh, it's built, it's built, but it's never been driven. Was it the old era or the re? No, it, it, it's an A stamp. It's the yeah, it's the original one. Here, over will nice. Mine's gone. I've had a couple of them. I I tend to get them, and then I I look on my shelf and go, oh, there's like three hundred dollars sitting there. This this one was a display car at Hobby Town. So it was oh, like, nice. so it was all like tricked out with, it has like a Tekken speed control and like all the, like kind of the newer old school stuff. But yeah, yep. it, like it's never, never hit the track before. Did it have the three piece wheels? Yeah. Mine was the old one with the three piece wheels and the, oh, I had the original gangsta three piece spoked wheels with the big knobs. Oh really? And the small front tires, smaller diameter front tires, like the oh, really? original like, jam. Yeah, yeah, the smaller huh. than that. Those one. are like uh, those are like um, three or four years deep into my racing. Maybe, maybe really, yeah. I had those at one time. That's pretty and, awesome. Yeah, so I've been doing it for a while. Okay, and uh, <laughs> slowly upgraded everything to where it was like nothing was original in the car, but the chassis. I walked into my hobby shop here in Omaha, Beller Hobbies. Um, it was one of the oldest one of the longer lasting hobby stores in Omaha with full intent on getting an RC 10 back in the, back in the eighties. And, uh, the guy that was there actually talked my mom out of it. And we, she ended up buying me a Tamiya Falcon instead, which is a complete one eighty from what I actually wanted. I know you're just like, I hate when salespeople talk. That's in my adult years. I'm like, I'm buying what I came in here to buy. Yeah no matter what it's, it's crazy. Cause I, I tend to think how different my experience starting out would have been if I would have just got the car I wanted instead of 
getting something that wasn't even raceable, you know, because I wanted to and race. And then you end up circling back and you end up with RC10 anyways, yeah. right? Well, there, there's probably like some like uh, seller's incentive, like the salesman got like an extra five bucks for every one of those ones he sold. Something really stupid. I remember. Yeah, well, his, I know the guy. He still he still races every once in a while. He's an he's an on road eight scale on road guy mm-hmm. now nowadays because he's up there in age. And uh, he back then it was <laughs> back. Sorry, it's the truth. Uh, back then though, it was uh, what he was explaining. To my mom was that it was going to be too complicated. Right. But see, I've built a Falcon recently and I'm like, holy shit, like this is just as complicated as an RC 10 would have been. Why, what in the world was this guy talking about? Yeah. Well, RC 10, I mean, the mechanical wiring up your own speed control and everything was like not exactly easy to figure out. That's true. And they were like, oh, by the way, here's your servo mounts. You need to drill them. I think, uh, you know, like super old school, like you had to drill the servo mounts. Yeah. They like, yeah, I had the original manual with like the black and white photos. I mean, it's come a long ways. Yeah, it's so much oh, yeah. easier to get started now. It's amazing. Yeah, and it's kind of like you know when you're designing a car, you know how what it's like to be somebody new trying to put together something like that, and like you definitely appreciate the nuances that we have today. Like, oh yeah, and I mean, you don't <laughs> even understand like the turnbuckle to the servo was like bent wire. It wasn't even a turnbuckle with ball cups to hook yeah. the servo and steering up. And you like didn't get a servo horn in the kit. Oh yeah, that's right. You, most that's why a lot of the a lot of the ones that you see used nowadays, the servos are all in a whole bunch of different locations and they all use like the the plastic servo horn that came with the servos. Yeah. Uh, that explains a lot of that. I always wondered about that. I, I started racing the like when you remember X mods from Radio Shack, like you remember that a little bit, a little bit, I started racing those like there, they had this like once a month thing at a mall and I won like a regionals for racing. So I I actually like started tiny and kept getting like bigger cars. But my first associated car was an RC 18 T and we raced those in the back of the store, (coughs) the hobby town that I ended up working at when I was in high school. But yeah, those were fun. That was a whole thing for a while. I know our our guy uh, Josh Anderson, an associate. He was like the 18 scale master. He, he and Tony went out and raced, and they would go to RC Madness and race 18 scale nationals once a year and trick out their cars. Yeah, my friend Richard and I we we were like wanted, wanted to go to that race so bad. We're like, we need to go there. We we just totally win. Like, <laughs> you know what? You know how it is. Yeah. Cause that was like the start of like online videos and that whole thing. Cause that would have been like what? 2004, 2005. Yeah. Like right that. around there. Yeah. The engineer, um, side note, one of the main engineers for the 18th scale project, Lucas Widener, he is one of the main engineers at Joe Gibbs racing NASCAR. Oh now. my gosh. He oh really? Associated. Yeah. He That's worked, awesome. he worked in, uh, he was from, uh, Colorado, like, near um colorado he went to colorado state and uh worked for a racing team out based out there and then he worked for associated for a couple years and his main thing was he did the 18 scale project and then um he went off and did a whole bunch of other stuff and he's been at joe gibbs racing for about 10 plus years now out in mooresville north carolina so i go visit him when i go when i go through there that's pretty cool how did you get 
the coach moniker. Oh yeah. That was funny. Cause yeah, we, we were at SoCal a lot and, um, it started, I had this t-shirt that I liked cause my cars were always like my original cars were actually fluorescent red with black. And I had like, and then I changed it when yellow wheels came out, I was on it. And so I changed my whole scheme to the fluorescent green and yellow base. So I could see it. The yeah. lighting wasn't that great. And I got to rock the yellow, yellow wheels. So I always had green. So I got this green t-shirt that I'd wear to the track. And it actually said coach on the back. Cause I got it at a resale shop. It was from, from some like uh sports and recreation place that I got when I lived up in the Seattle area. So I had this shirt and I kept wearing it. And then I was always helping the guys and, and working and wrenching. And we, I mean, literally that's when I kind of met Brian Kenwell is when I moved down there and we would be testing. And I mean, he was, a he was at his peak, you know, in 2002 when we came and, um, so Ryan, you know, Ryan Cavallari was this new up and coming kid. Um, and we were all at SoCal Raceway and those guys would literally be at the track, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I mean, Brian was there every day. Yeah. He would literally pull up and unload his stuff and sit at the same table between 12 and 1230 every day. And we'd always drive over cause they'd open at 12 and we'd be testing two wheel drive stuff and we'd bring our car for the day and, whatever trying and come on come on down and be running laps and then usually we'd stay and they'd rate we'd race on wednesdays and i'd usually race wednesday and friday and then saturday was just like a play day and then they'd have a sunday race which i would do sometimes but yeah i had that shirt and then it just uh, a lot of the guys saw it and then i'd come in and they'd see my shirt and they'd be like Poosh! and yelling <laughs> out and then it just kind of stuck from there and it fit pretty good. So that's um, how long it's been. It's been like you know, 17 years now. And uh, it's a pretty good name. And then other people that didn't know it, they were like, oh, I just figured they were calling you coach because you're just out helping everybody. And Yeah. That, that's what I always thought. <laughs> but it kind of fit. And that's uh, that all started with my uh, shirt, which I'm sure I still have it. It's kind of falling apart been washed a million times but still got it i put a picture of it you can go search through my instagram and see a picture of the back if you want to go to the shell racing instagram there's a you can scroll through there there's a picture of the coach t-shirt so um shell so you said about 2012 right i think yep. that's i think it's about how long we've been carrying the stuff at the plaques actually yeah you guys have had it for a while so yeah we I launched the brand. Um, yeah, we ended up the Avid product line. I mean, the way that the industry was and the amount of what you got in the kit, it was still kind of the cars were going through a transition of you getting a completely plastic car with everything on the really low end and wanting to buy a lot of accessories. So, yeah, we launched the Avid line and it, it blew up and did really well. And then, um, after we broke up, I wanted to keep doing that. And there was, you know, a lot of leg room in, and I think, um, 
one of the first things that came out was kind of like the B5 series. Yeah. And that car, you could, you know, you didn't get a ton in the box as far as super trick stuff. So, yeah, we started, launched that line and um, launched the new brand and figuring out a name and everything was pretty, pretty hard. But uh, we wanted to find something that had a unique name and I liked the logo and the way everything looked and we could find a web footprint and it wasn't going to have, it was going to be easy to find on the web. So we ended up with Shell, which is easy to say, you say it like Shell oil or whatever, but um, a lot of people still say Shelly. Shelly. So... I'm I'm cool with it, but eventually every eventually people figure out. Yeah, it's only but it still happens. It's only been seven years. Oh yeah. Oh, we have a whole running gag on here about stuff called wrong names. Yeah. Yep. Last week I heard Aroma Typhoon. Ooh, Aroma. Which is which is that's the first time I've heard Aroma <laughs> replace Arma. That's but interesting. It, yeah, but it was yeah. a I heard Aroma Typhoon. I was Roma. like, yeah. The logos kind of could get a little confusing if you were looking at it at a glance. <laughs> yeah. And you hadn't really seen it. You want to talk about my favorite class? Yeah. That's, let's get that out of the way. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how you brought that up. Yeah. Funny uh, yeah. how you brought that up. <laughs> yeah. What is your all time favorite class? I'm kind of torn. I was thinking about this because. I bet it's touring car. I bet it's my... gas truck. Favorite class for running and testing, I think, is probably two-wheel drive. My favorite that I probably do the best at in racing is probably four-wheel drive. I usually finish higher in four-wheel drive. Like, I made the open class A-Main at Reedy Race in four-wheel drive. And, like, my highest finish of the world was in four-wheel drive. So, I'm kind of partial to that. I really like it. And so when 13.5 four-wheel drive came out and we could actually club race it all yeah. the time, I was I was hooked. I was racing four-wheel drive all the time. That's usually our biggest class, usually. It's really fun. The new cars are durable. So, But I think two-wheel drive is probably my favorite class on the whole for how challenging it is and the competition level. But they're like... It's like 1A and 1B as far as um, mm -hmm. favorites. I think two-wheel drive, because of the prestige, it just has a little more of an edge. So it would be the 1A, and then four-wheel drive electric would be 1B. They're both fun. And then touring car, before it got, before I'll just say pre-tire warmers. Before it got stupid? Before I got stupid in the TC3 days was really fun. I'm probably the closest to being good at touring car, which also kind of goes to like, that's why I'm, although I don't race it very much, I'll probably be way better at carpet off-road than dirt because of my driving and the way I drive. I do better the more traction there is and the more work that the car can do. And like, I'm not one that's, I tend to, when I make my car too fast or I overdrive, I usually go slower and make mistakes. So the more I can kind of like stay in my wheelhouse, I can go faster. Yeah. 
So the more, tra- I know everyone goes faster when there's more traction, but yeah. the gap between me and Ryan Cavallari gets smaller. The more traction there is, I catch up to him and the more it relies on the driver, he blows me away. Yeah. I that's like a good it. way to, that's a good way to put it. I get, I crash more on carpet off-road. I get slower. But you get yeah, me, you, you sure. get me to an old school outdoor track where I can use if more pins. I'm right at home. Yeah, I know. I was like, dude, we were running the old X patterns, Jam and J. I mean, there's people they they don't even know about like Jam and J step pins, mm-hmm. and that there was the whole Jam and J tire line with the step pins. Those were like solid gold for a while, mm-hmm. and then the flat fuzzies, the fuzzies, and the flat fuzzies came out and Pro ninety twos, right? Aren't those flat I don't fuzzies? remember the part number. I think that's what they are. I might be wrong. Yeah. They had the first was the fuzzy, which was like, yeah. And then the flat fuzzies came out and it was like, that was the tire for a I long, to, long I had to time. beg my dad at this, at this trophy race I was at to go in and spend 12 bucks on a new pair of tires. And he was like, what's wrong with those tires? And I'm like, well, they're, they're fuzzies, but they're, they're worn down. I need new fuzzies. And he's like, those look just like those. And I'm like, no, 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 they're not. Trust me. I need new tires. The go, edges go are worn off. Tires. We need to win. <laughs> Do you, do you still have a set of those, the Jam and J tires? No, only in my memories. Yeah. No. That'd have been cool to post the pics of them. I'm sure we can find some pictures somewhere. Yeah. The internet's a wonderful thing. Yeah. But those are probably those are probably really hard to come by. Yeah. Probably even more hard to come by than the original X patterns. Yeah. I have three sets of brand new X patterns on my yeah. on my cars that I'm never taking off my shelf. It's freaking awesome. Yeah. I still have a bunch of Ifmar pins and big shots and some Ifmar studs for two wheel. There you yeah. go. Yeah. Just for just for fun. Yeah, it was a cool era. Loose So many different things. We've been through all the Jumps eras and the big. motors and the batteries and Yeah. I was thinking about it. I think the biggest the biggest game changers other than the fact of like probably M two and M three tires coming out was a big game changer. And then the two battery revolutions, the first one to running nickel metal hydride wasn't that much of a game changer, but it, it made the cost to race. Like you just needed one battery pack for a car. I remember the first time we had these nickel metals and I would go to a race and Adam Drake was there and he just brought one battery and left it in his car and just charged it for every run. And I was like, Oh my gosh, we can do that now. And then um, I don't need it, which I love because you're soldering your battery in every run. Yeah. That made life a little bit better, but the brushless and lipo revolution was a huge game changer, especially the shorty battery pack. Kind of brought electric back. Yeah. So I got to do all the brushless testing. I remember we ran the first Novak system before it was even released. We ran Bob's system. Um, he invited us to come down and give him some feedback and it was actually really good. And then we had the original LRP system. And then I think right around the world, like when we went to Japan in 2007 or 2000, what was that? I think it was 2007. That was like the last worlds where the brushless was just starting to get as good as the brushed. And I know Brent and I ran brushless at that race and we ran the new centered rotors with some new revamped LRP software. And it was finally as good where I didn't feel like it was a handicap 
on the power band and the drivability. And um, yeah, I think since pretty pretty soon after that, I know that the, those races were won with fresh motors. Um, with the checkpoint guys, Jared and Hayato both won. And, uh, and then shortly after that, it was pretty much full on brushless. As soon as they got the centered rotors and you didn't have to deal with heat fading. Yeah. And then shortly thereafter, um, we did a bunch of testing and development with the big thing is like the cars were so heavy. Like the cars we were racing were like 1650 grams. And then when you switch the battery pack, I think they might've even been 1700 grams and then switching the battery pack to a, a long lipo. Um, the car got so much lighter. We ended up having to uh, change a lot of the setups and settings to make it softer. So that was a cool era. And then I think the other biggest kind of game changer was the, uh, the big bore shocks era and mid motor. So, yeah, those were the, the biggest things I thought that really changed the game for the car design and gave it a lot more capability and flexibility. So it's fun to take out a B4 every once in a while. I've, I have a couple of them and, and I've got one that actually runs and with a, like a Novak, I can't remember, was it 4,200 or whatever it was, 4,300 system. It's fun to take mm-hmm. those out every once in a while and go, wow, this still handles really good. It's still <laughs> balanced. It maybe can't, go over the jumps the same way yeah. or land the big jumps with the the same thing. But the setup's balanced and you put good tires on it. They're, they're still really fun. Yeah. I've got a bunch of B4s saved. I saved, yeah. I saved all the cars. Anything that I raced at the Worlds or a big race, I saved. So I've got a few B44s, the cars that I raced in Japan, the cars I raced in Italy, the cars that I raced at the Worlds in Florida. And um, I got all that stuff saved, so I got a pretty good collection. Yeah, the, the B the B forty four point one is was probably my favorite four wheel. Like I, I loved that thing. Like, I, and maybe it's just because it had so many less adjustments. It just felt like you just sit it down and drive it. But yeah, I, was I always felt like yeah, I always felt like that car was really good. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I enjoyed it a lot. Sorry, I'm shifting around, messing up the frame. Yeah, you're fine. That's okay. Yeah, the B44, that project, I mean, that was, um, you could talk to Jason and Brad did the original design. They told Cliff and they were like, we want to make a car. They decided like right before the race, they're like, we want to put together our own car to run at the race at the Worlds. So uh, Brad Wilson, Jason hammered out the design and figured out what to do and got parts made. And um, I'll tell you, if we have time at the end, I'll tell you the other story about uh jason at the worlds that was really funny searching for parts for that thing (laughs) but yeah he did that and then it the the bj4 project really took off and so part of the original agreement was kind of anything we learn on that project we can use on an associated version and so then um once we went through and raced and kind of switched to the saddle pack cars and it was time for associated to make our version we worked with jason as a consultant and so he and i worked together on the design of all the production plastic pieces and and um and taking their car which was you know using tc3 gearbox cases that they had to get them custom machined and cut down to fit the chassis and taking that and making it into something um 
workable for production and uh, doing all the improvements. So making the different front kickup plate and the front bulkhead. And um, so I worked on all that on the gearboxes and the front tower mount and the wing mounts and all that, that whole system, taking all that into production. Did you ever have a job outside the RC industry? I tried a few different things. When I was in school, I was lucky enough to do a bunch of different uh, co-ops and summers and stuff. So I worked for a summer for an oil drilling company, and I got to see that in Houston. I went and moved to Detroit and um, went racing up there. That's where I met Joe Pillars for the first time. I just showed up at the club race at his track, and we were battling. And he was working at uh, the Phantom Geyser up there. And mm-hmm. I guess they were right by the only try to drive like two hours to find a dirt track, but I didn't have anything else to do. I wanted to go race my cars. Yeah. I lived up in Detroit. I got to work at Ford Motor Company for a little while and uh, see what that was like. And then right after school, I moved to Seattle and I worked at Boeing in an equipment group. I did that, but I. I'm kind of spoiled now. I, I, that's kind of why I end up like having the freedom to have my own brand and do that other stuff is working in a big, a big, uh, corporation or a hierarchy or whatever where the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. It's just, it's not as fun as, um, being able to, you know, have so much control over the products and stuff and being able to work in the RC industry and doing, doing what we love and having so much of a hand and everything. Yeah. It's, uh, it's way more cool. So I'm kind of spoiled now. I can't go back. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So yeah, I've done it. I might do other stuff later on. I haven't ruled anything out, but I like what I'm doing now and kind of found my happy place. All right. Well, while we're thinking about that, we're going to take a very quick pivot landing break and then we'll be right back with Kurt Winger. And now, a word from our sponsors. Yeah! This is a Pivot Lending Update with David Olson and Don Zoller. Get some. Hi, this is David Olson with Pivot Lending, and with me today is... Don Zoller. And we just wanted to give everybody uh, listening the backstory on Pivot Lending and maybe what separates us from our competitors in the marketplace. Uh, Pivot Lending, uh, we're going on our 20th year and we're a mortgage banking company. We're different in a few ways that we have divisions of subservicing, divisions of third-party origination. We have a marketing team in one division. We also have business development. We work business to business, whether it's with a community bank or a credit union We also uh, work the retail side of the spectrum. So we're working with a lot of realtors. We're working with a lot of builders. There's a number of different ways that our organization has diversified as opposed to a standard mortgage banking company that's just generating a mortgage to the market and to sell it or potentially service it. We internally underwrite all of our loans in-house. We have five underwriters. We're Big enough to play in the larger spaces, but small enough to be a boutique operation. We've got about 100 employees right now. We are in California, Arizona. We have offices also in Wichita, 
We're in Kansas City, Omaha, Colorado. Inside Colorado, we're in Denver, Boulder, and opening up in Colorado Springs. We're kind of excited and growing. We're moving into the uh, New England market uh, with a, a big partnership that also is a serve mortgage service provider to 234 different credit unions in the New England states. So uh, a lot of things happening and um, having Dawn locally is, is, a, is a huge advantage for everybody in the RC community. I know that uh, not only myself, but the owner of the company, Brian Ottaviano, he's a hobby fan. He flew uh, quite a few remote control airplanes and loves that piece of it. He also follows Aiden, my son's racing. And so it's, it's, it's great to be able to weave in the hobby into what we're doing and to be able to get back to the hobby because of the, the things it represents, I think are similar to things that we represent. David Olson, NMLS 16099. Don Zoller, NMLS 277589. Pivot Lending, NMLS 109995. Now to your regularly scheduled program. You guys want to talk about the B6.3? Yeah, now? let's lead into this, baby. So yeah, we did the B6.3, and um, I think it's a really cool project. Uh, we started doing testing and development for it last year, and we didn't really know what we wanted to do. We knew a few key things like, all right, this is a headache, this is a complaint, we want to fix it. We knew we wanted to fix the steering link and the ball cups that connect the steering servo to the bell cranks because those are made out of a more stretchy and rubbery material. Um, they're made in the same mold as the shock end and the sway bar links. And the abuse that they get from the steering, they just stretch out and oval out really fast. Um, so we knew we wanted to do some stuff like that. And we knew the slipper clutch. Um, we wanted to put an improved clutch in there. And so we kind of started doing the slipper development with the four-wheel drive, um, which was the very first thing I started working on with the guys. And um, using the new LCF material, it opened up a lot of doors to change the pad size and the spring. And so we had kind of come up with that and the new um, locking system. So we carried the, the slipper clutch stuff over and we were able to test it on two-wheel drive and, um, the new B6.3, the carpet version has the same spring and the same pads as the four wheel drive, which gives you a lot more um, torque capacity and drive without it can still slip, but it can transmit power under load better. And so that's what is really an advantage for carpet. Whereas um, the dirt one is the standard. It's a 19 millimeter hole. The, the four wheel drive is 11. So it's a lot more surface area and it needs a new spring because whenever you increase the surface area, you add drag, but you also change the pressure and the amount of, so you need a lot more force on a, on the big pad. So we came up with the new spring design and then we started kind of just trying stuff. And um, because we had learned so much about, you know, the original generation changed from the 65 millimeter to the 67 drive shafts. Mm -hmm. And then we had changed from the 6.2 offered the super long 69 drive shafts. We just did some more digging there and um, we came up with a, what we thought was the best combination is the rear end. So we made the new uh, C and D blocks that are wider and we use the 73 arm, the shorter arm 
So we got the 73 arms, but then we were able to use the longest drive shafts, the 69 drive shafts, and, um, and still make it to where it fits the, the layback and lay down gearboxes. So we kind of were just like, let's just see how it goes. And, and, um, we, we tried a few different settings on it and we found some stuff, which is kind of the kit setups for the new cars. And on the whole, it's just all around way more predictable and, as far as like when the car breaks loose in the turn, the drive shafts make a really big difference being able to go to the longer drive shaft and not, and being able to transmit power and keep rolling without kind of stiffening up, um, which is really important for like the mid motor car designs. I think, I think it's no secret that the mid motor cars and the longer drive shafts kind of go together. So the new rear end package, I would say, is the most important thing that makes a big difference. And so, I mean, if somebody's really penny pinching, you don't really need to get the new shock tower, although you you won't get the fine hole adjustments. But the C and D blocks, the the sixty nine millimeter drive shafts, and the the seventy three arms. That's the biggest game changer that makes the car feel a lot better on the rear rear end traction and then the big thing that we started testing was the front end we started doing some testing on the flex and we're like let's just test the chassis flex so we started mounting the servo through the chassis plate and so the two side rails are like disconnected all the way back but in the front when the servos connected across them it's got a cross member so they can't move side to side when the chassis twists so we started testing with that, and that really uh, transformed the car. Kind of turn in and lean and stay and load the front end, whereas before, I think the best way to describe it is the the car with the more rigid front end configuration and kind of leans into the turn, and then it hits a point where the front kind of stiffens up and doesn't keep turning. And so you feel like the car kind of winds up and then stops and you don't get the front end grip all the way through the turn. So yeah. that was a big deal. So we, so you've seen a lot of the guys started modifying the chassis and trying it and drilling servo mount holes. And so we tried it on carpet. The Champlins tried it and, um, and Brent and the guys tried it and, and, um, Aiden Horn ran it. And so the first time we were running it was at like OCRC for the Surf City Classic. And uh, Aiden did really well with it. How about and, that um, kid, huh? Yeah. <laughs> he's putting in the work. Yeah. He's getting up there. New, a new uh, up and comer to the podium. So he's done really well the last year going yeah. to a new level with his, with his uh, program. So that's been cool to see. And I've known his dad for a long time and he's been really good to work with. So we roomed together at surf city. Nice. Yeah. Those are the hugest things that I would say are a really big a game changer was the chassis flex. And then the other thing that, that, obviously now comes in the box, but you kind of had to cobble together before as we molded the new uh, chassis brace rods and you get all the parts in the box, a, t- a turnbuckle, the rod ends and the rods and the fasteners to to run and run that setup where you can connect the gearbox to there. And so that gives it the rear end a lot more torsional flex. And 
My best description is that you lose a little bit of turn in, but then the rear leans and follows the front through the turns and you don't necessarily get the rear end stalling out and not rotating. So I think the lower and medium grip dirt, it really, really works good. And I've even run it on carpet and it's kind of my go-to baseline. So it's it's more of like a it's almost more of a preference thing, you know. Like yeah, it really changes how the rear end feels, how fast you want to rotate, and how much turn in you like. Mm-hmm. But you kind of give up a little bit of initial turn into the tor- corner, and you get a lot more of like mid to exit rotation when you run the turnbuckle versus if you run it rigid on the t- waterfall, you get more turn in, but the car kind of seems to stall out and be a little more rigid in the rear and not as much weight transfer and twisting. So does the new kit come with uh, the medium pistons? Yeah. Like that okay. was another thing we started testing was the thin pistons kind of had some benefits, but they had some, I guess a little bit of uh, too many drawbacks that we weren't really using them that much. So we made the medium pistons and tested them. I struggled with them when I tried them. Yeah. So the medium you do you if you're running the same setup like a one six one seven you do have to run oil so like normally you might run with a thicker piston you might run thirty weight in the rear and you usually have to go up to like thirty five weight like at at a during the summer we go up to thirty five weight like at Surf City and but they tend to have a little more supple feel to them and they're really good on dirt so they um th- those have already launched I don't know if you guys have gotten them yet but i think there was a press release and stuff so they launched a little bit before the car but they mm-hmm. come in the box yeah. now i i have those pistons uh I, I the other thing that i noticed that was coming in the new kit was the the four millimeter uh long eyelets or like the there's like the short and then what we yeah, used to have yeah. is the long and then the even longer so they have, um, it's part of like the new suspension the arms are all shifted out so they're kind of farther away from the shock towers and one of the things we wanted to keep the shock tower to where if you do want to switch and run the longer arm setup and the old mounts, you you can use the same shock tower. So the general rule of thumb is that if you had short eyelets on before, you need to go to long. And if you had long eyelets, you need to go to the plus fours because the arm is farther away as it moves out. So you need the extra two millimeters of length so that you can still get the same droop. Okay, that makes sense. And so that's the kind of general rule of thumb. So a lot of the guys were at the big races were, were running plus two. So with the new rear end, they'll need the plus fours. Yeah. And uh, that way you can get the same droop at the wheel. So we're kind of almost running at when you run on slicks and you're running like axle height two, you don't get as much wheel travel relative to the chassis because of the wheels sitting up higher relative to the arm. So keep adding more and more droop. Spencer Rivkin says, yo, yo, yo. He's on right now. Oh, what up? Yeah. He was just trying to FaceTime call me right before I got on. So I'll, I'll catch you later, Spencer. Hey, Spencer. Spencer's been great to work with. Um, I was really glad when I met him and then got to know him and we've been doing lots of eight scale testing development and 10 scale. And I mean, the team we have with, uh, Spencer and, um, Dustin Evans is great. I met those guys. We went and raced at Trackside last year and then kind of been doing all the races. And then 
Aiden Horn and uh, Blake Champlin and then uh, Ronnie D, all the guys that, that we have on the associate team. Um, Cole Tollard comes out for some of the events. They've all been great to work with. So it's been super fun. Get to know the newer generation of guys a little bit more. We're rocking it. Yeah. You said that it that you guys started on the on the point three project. Was that a year ago? Yeah, kind of after the I mean everything kind of has a lead time. So we finished four wheel drive development and we knew we wanted to do the uh the truck six point twos. So we did a lot of testing and I know a lot of people are wondering like the the T six point two, we built up this goal wing setup package and figured out the shock towers and and everything for that with goal wing front arms. And um, we kind of tested like goal ring rear end with the regular front end and goal wing front. And then we kind of tested all the different combinations and Brent was driving a lot of that. And it kind of worked out that when you have the goal wing, it kind of works better on all four corners on the truck. And it kind of controls the pitching because the trucks are relatively short wheelbase to how long they are and they pitch a lot, and so having the shocks more vertical stops the truck from pitching and ends up feeling a lot better, and it doesn't lean as much. And then when we tested all that on the short course, it was kind of the opposite, because short course is a really narrow vehicle that's got a really long wheelbase, and the gullwing like rear end had like no traction because there's already not a lot of, you know, it's a narrower tire, and the truck, is a longer wheelbase. And so we tried all of those and we kind of came to the same conclusion that if you're going to put goal wings on it, you have to put goal wings front and rear, but the overall, the package for short course wasn't as good. So that's why the SC 6.2 doesn't have the goal wing suspension on it. If it worked better, we would have done it, but mm-hmm. we spent some time with it and it's kind of the nature of that vehicle, the wheelbase and the width, it just doesn't work as good. Yeah, they were like, "Who wants? Who wants to have something new on it when it's loose and you have no traction?" We're like, "I already tried it. It's not. It's not better, guys. I'm doing you a favor. You're gonna do donuts if we sell it this way." Do you have any? Do you have any insight on the sales of 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 short course at Associated? Because around here, it's pretty dead. And so I was actually surprised. It's weird, yeah. Short course. I mean, the truck programs are great because there's so many shared parts that it's not a whole lot of extra investment to offer it. You have to make molds for the arms and stuff, but it's not going to break the bank. And you're like, I don't know where these are all going, but yeah, they're going out the door and it's enough to make it worth our while. And, you know, a, a lot of people, when they see, oh, they're coming out with a new kit or something they don't realize that like we have to make batches of kits. We don't just say, Oh, people want five whip up five. Like you have to order, you know, <laughs> you're like, you got to get 500 or thousands, you know, they're like nobody will get out of bed for less than 500 of something, you know? Yeah. To actually make it. So, but you know, you're like, okay, we can sell a whole batch of them. Let's make it. It makes money and people are buying them. And they're going out the door. And then, you know, part of like the B 6.3 coming out, it's like, well, we're going to run out of B6.2s and we got to make, you know, thousands more of something. So why not incorporate all of these ideas and stuff that we found to be better and have them come in the box if we're going to make new stuff versus 
we could make more B6.2s and then sell a bunch of op- option parts and then you're not getting all this other cool stuff and you're like, well, you got to buy a B6.2 and then you got to get the new C&D they released and then you got to... And it's like, it's way better to just have it all come in the box than have people have to cobble together an updated car. I know a lot of people are... I don't know. As I get older, the fact of an RC car is $350. It's not really that much. Like, this is a pretty affordable hobby compared to everything else out there. Yeah. I have a B2 box over there, and retail, re, or the price on it was $340. Like, it's enough, like, it hasn't changed a lot. You're like, and now I got aluminum chassis and aluminum suspension mounts and threaded shocks in the box. Yeah. And it's a lot more durable. Yeah, the cars are so much more durable now. Well, and that it's crazy. You kind of answered my part of my question. I was I was going to ask next was the, the frequency of of new cars coming out now on the off road side is a lot more frequent than what we experienced for a little while in the say two thousands, yeah. right? But I think part of yeah. that was because in the two thousands, off road off road in general was kind of slow compared to touring car or even as eight scale was getting bigger. Am I, am, am I right there? I mean, that's kind of what I felt in the I hobby think shop relatively, but it was all like, I mean, production methods have changed. And I mean, back when it was all made in the build, it wasn't made in the building, but it was made in California and yeah, that's true in associated. They had like bins of front a arms and then they're like, well, we need to sell some more kits. Let's just go grab front a arms and package up another small batch of kits to sell, you know? Yeah. Versus now it's kind of like everything's on a bigger scale and there's more money and time invested and you're doing bigger batches of stuff and you can't make onesie twosies or make them as needed. So there's the production things and then the rate of development and it's just kind of a different era and you got to realize that that time is gone. Yeah. And it's actually, you're like, just show them a picture of your all plastic B2 for $350 and then be like, do you want to go back to this? Yeah. But what, but what you said too made a lot of sense to me. You're like, well, we have to order this many kits next. Do we order this many kits and hope they all sell or do we incorporate a new design and come out with something new since we have to order all this stuff anyways? To me, that makes total sense. Yeah. And I mean, I know with COVID, a lot of people, you know, there's people that'll be vocal, but you can end up updating your car or not. And I think the price is really affordable. It's one of the most affordable hobbies. I think RC is a lot of bang for your buck and you can go overboard and overspend on anything. And it's the same people that overspend on RC. If they were into guns, they'd overspend on guns or they'd overspend them. And people, you know, yeah. If you can do it, you can do good and put in the work and have fun and, and um, with any hobby. And there's going to be a percentage of people that like in racing, they want to try to buy speed mm-hmm. and then, or whatever, or buy accuracy if it's shooting or buy times if your bike. And then eventually it's really whoever puts in the work and gets better at it. Yeah. Is going to yeah. be the best. And, you know, the B6.2 has been out for almost a year now. Like, I mean, really, you know, it's kind of time for a new car anyway. You know, if you bought one at the release, you've run that thing for a year. It's worn out. Well. Yeah, I buy buy new cars every year anyways. 
yeah, yeah. like it's pretty it's pretty standard i i think to have a new car every year so a lot so many parts carry over uh, i don't think it's there might be a few complainers but mm-hmm. i don't think it's going to be a huge shock to the system eh. and on the whole it's good complainers try running a dirt track all that stuff just pew, you ignore most of it when's the mini truggy coming does that mean like the te- like the tenth scale truggy? Yeah, that's my jam. With truck wheels. Yeah, that's my jam. Don't <sighs> hold your breath, buddy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You need to put together a full market study and send it in, and then it might get thought about. I know. Every time I see Brent, I'm like, "Hey, dude, check this out. You need to get one of these." And then you're like, "Well, do you, should we guys?" Uh, work on drag racing cars yeah. or mini truggies. And then you're like, oh, okay. Buy a mini truggy. <laughs> that was actually his drag response. a lot more popular. When I met him in, uh, or not met him, but when I saw him at South Carolina this uh, this fall, I was we were talking about that. And he was like, what do you think? Do you think drag racing or do you think mini trucking? I was like, oof. From a hobby store standpoint, drag racing, you know. We are a money-making operation. That's right. Not. And if you think you can launch your own mini truggy, <laughs> it is it is a business. Even yeah. just for fun, it's the most fun for the most number of people. Yep, mm-hmm. that's the goal. So I wouldn't hold my breath on the mini truggy world. Um, okay. But all the other core stuffs here to say, drag racing has been big. The scale, the element program has been really cool yeah. to watch. I love my so, um Yeah, the other engineers that uh, most people probably, that have been in the industry a while know that uh, Dad Garner works on the the projects, and then Aaron Lane works on the element, the scale projects over at Associated. So it's it's in really good hands, and um, obviously you've got your DR10 there. I mean that thing came out pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty rad. I'm uh, there's a brand new. It's super windy out today, so I didn't get to drive it earlier. But I think the as I leave here, the wind will be calm, calm enough. There's a brand new parking lot outside. That's the whole reason why I brought it. I was going to drive it. It'd be my first time driving it. I'm excited. Heck yeah. 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 That That's probably the only other genre of RC that really interests me is that is the drag racing just because it's scale appearing and, you know, anybody can win at any time. You know, I, I think that, it, that, that, that just seems like a more of, having a good time with your buddies at the track. You know? Yeah. We were joking in Vegas. We got a call from Mayfield and he's like, well, I went drag racing today. I got beat by a little girl and a guy <laughs> in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, it's See, the equal playing field. The fact that I'm the world champion and off road doesn't matter. Yeah. People all. probably don't even know who he is at those events. You know, who vast majority. Dude, there's, there's like three different families here, at least in Omaha, but it, that come into the store frequently, three different families. They don't know each other. They've never raced each other. And basically the, each family has spent tons of money on drag racing stuff. And they just go back and forth, betting each other money out in parking lots and it's like three whole different families and they've never even seen each other, but they all do the same thing. Like just in between each other. It's yeah. Dragon rights. It's awesome. <laughs> RC is cool. Get more yeah. people into it and yep. get them to see it. Kurt Winger. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for taking the time. And sure guys. Thanks for having me.
Don't forget, this is always, always sponsored by Pivot Lending Group. Find it at pivotlending.com. And if you mention our show, you get 0.125 off your interest rate or $500 lender credit. Uh, use it. My wife and I are using it right now. It's almost done. And uh, we'll see you next. Well, maybe. I'm not sure if we're going to see you next week because I'm on vacation. So we'll talk about it. Anyways, bye. <laughs>